0: Welcome, and I want to say Happy Father's Day to all the dads that are out there today. This is a very special moment, for I have the privilege of interviewing and talking to my own father. I am Ben Young, and my dad is Pastor and Dr. Ed Young, and he's here today to talk to us about what God's Word says to us about parenting, and also to talk about his own experiences as a father. So, Dad... Glad that you're here today. Be careful
1: what you ask, Ben. Be careful. I will.
0: Don't tell everything. I will. (laughs) Hey, let's start off talking, first of all, about your own father. Tell us uh, what he was like and what
1: your relationship was like. Right. My dad was the hardest working man in the world. He literally was. Everybody knew Homer Young. They said he got up at 3.30 in the morning. He was at work at 4. If He got a minute late, and he was driven. All during the Second World War, he held two jobs. He'd work eight hours, Mississippi Power Company. He would immediately go and work for a mill company, all in the late at night. So there were six days a week when I was a teenager or a young boy, really. I wouldn't see him. My dad was, when I was a child, a young boy, he played with me. We had a lot of fun together. He was an electrician. He would fix things. He'd show me how to fix things. It didn't take, of course, as right, you know. Right, yeah. But uh, we were very, very close until somewhere in the teenage years. Uh, my dad had a health challenge, and there was he withdrew from me, I felt, as I look back. And I was frightened of him. I, I, I stayed away from him. I dealt with him as little as I could. What little money we had, he's very generous with me. But uh, I had no relationship with him really, in my teenage years, all the way into adulthood. Mm-hmm. And so I missed that father that I felt appreciated me, loved me. He had a real trouble with my going into the ministry. When I was studying engineering University of Alabama, and when I felt God called me in the ministry, I remember him saying, "You could really be something. You're throwing your life away because." Right. He looked on the clergy as the laziest, uh, most unproductive people in the world, because early on he was not a Christian. Now, as he became a Christian, hopefully that helped a little bit. But still, he had no high view of of my profession. Mm-hmm. So my dad was hardworking. He was diligent. He was honest. Uh, he was scrupulous in what he did. He loved my mother. He loved my brother. I felt that I'm sure he loved me, though he never said, "I love you." Mm-hmm. Different generation different time and i miss and today and i miss in that day i tried being i got older i tried to sit down and talk with him it it was too late it Mm -hmm. just could not happen so there's a vacuum in my heart that was never satisfied so to say god is our father had to overcome that Mm -hmm. and uh, that may sound strange no, but that's what happened in my home
0: do you feel like uh at that time when you're in high school when you kind of felt the separation from your father that someone else came into the picture whether you were conscious
1: or subconscious of that to fill that role absolutely my coaches did uh, floppy bishop who's one of my coaches and floppy loved me and reached out to me uh-huh. uh, i had a bible study teacher uh, i had Fathers of other, my friends were just out there with us and they got involved in our lives. And a lot of people, God put people in those gaps there for me. And that made a big, big difference. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a
0: philosopher that said, we, you know, we have our biological fathers, but there's also comes a point in time in, in our life that we choose in a sense, a second father or a second father exactly. chooses us. And they help kind of, filling
1: gaps uh, that we have as, as kids growing up. And we just need affirmation, just a little bit of affirmation. Mm-hmm. I'm sure coming up, uh, when I said, Ben, that was good, that was fine. Uh, I went to every basketball game I think you ever played mm-hmm. until you got in college. And um, so that was what I loved. I identified with you. I, I tried to build the right stuff in you to let you know I was there. Mm-hmm. I cared. Uh, I loved you. I'm sure my dad did. Sure, uh, But my mother was a strong disciplinarian, and my dad sort of floated away, I felt, from me. But there were other men there who affirmed me just a little bit of praise for mm-hmm. a child Yeah. goes a million miles, particularly a teenager.
0: Right. That's huge. And I think there are a lot of people that are here today, that are watching today, that are single-parent moms, mm. and they're wondering, what can I do with my exactly. son or my daughter to have them to have that experience if they're disconnected from their Mm -hmm. their biological father and what would you say to that and how does the church
1: the church come in Well, this is who we are these are the teachers in church that's the reason you know how careful we are as to who teaches who leads Mm -hmm. our kids our teenagers we spend a lot of time in prayer trying to find those right guys as well as as females who will be there and really help those parents build into those kids what God knows they sure. need to get if they're gonna survive in this crazy culture we live in.
0: Sure, I, I look back in my life and you and mom were always there at the same time. I needed those Bible study teachers. I needed my youth leaders. Mm-hmm. I needed my coaches mm-hmm. also to affirm me and who I was as I was growing and maturing. And that's one of the great things about our church It's we have mm-hmm. so many avenues And ministries that allows for that kind of Mm. relationship to occur. Does that make sense?
1: Any area. Everybody didn't play sports. Sometimes it was art. Sometimes it was travel. Sometimes other interests that kids would have. And we try to keep all those doors open, Mm -hmm. where they'll find a place that you know identifies this group, that group. Whether it was the intellectual group, Mm -hmm. whether the groups that they had to work to survive as well as go to school. So you have all these different entities. And we as a church have to have the kind of openness and the kind of ministry that touches the needs of so many different type of kids that come our way. Sure. I, I want to uh, share a word from Scripture uh,
0: with us here today, and, and I want you to comment on it. And this is, by the way, this is unscripted. So this is, <laughs> but I, think, I know you can comment. I think, I, can I, tell. I, I, I think you can tell. I think you've preached from this before, but I want you to comment on it as it relates to fathers. And it's in Ephesians 6. And it's where Paul says, Fathers, do not exasperate mm. your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Mm. So, talk to me about this verse off the cuff, though right. I know you've studied it for many well, decades, well. and what that means.
1: Well, you, you know, it, it's a mistake that I've made many times, I think, as a father. It seems every time being, for example, your life, you'd want to talk, it would be you'd come in from somewhere on Saturday night about, you know, 11.15, 11, 11.30, 11, and all of a sudden you wanted to talk. Well, I had to go to work this morning. Right. Sunday was my day. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It was I had on my game face. Uh-huh. So you'd go and start sharing with us and sit down on the bed, and I'd be very impatient. I'd say, Ben, man, let's do this tomorrow. And so I did that about once or twice, and your mother said, well, their mm-hmm. great witness said, look, Edwin, when they want to talk, we listen. Right. So after that, Cliff never heard that, maybe Ed never heard that. You didn't hear that again. I saw she was right. Right. And so many times we frustrate our kids when they want to talk, we'd better push everything else to the side and listen. Otherwise there's frustration there. Also, we can not discipline enough and we can discipline too much. Mm -hmm. We can be right as fathers and mothers and discipline our children But the tone of voice in which we do it, Mm -hmm. uh, the manner in which we do it, our approach in which we do it, Mm -hmm. the timing in which we do it. Otherwise, we exasperate them. Mm -hmm. They think we don't care. And young kids interpret love time. That's right. Time. and It's time we spend with them is the most important thing that we can do. Mm -hmm. I remember the kid that said to me, when you think of your mother, what do you think of? and uh he said well i think of a big mouth said what would you like to think of i'd like to think of a big ear that's good so we have to listen listen Mm -hmm. ask little questions uh and then we'll have a a place in which they'll come to us train for child wait they should go when they're old they're not depart from it what does that mean well i hope i built the right stuff no when they're old they'll come and they'll be a friend and right. they will look to you for counsel. Your girls come to you and say, Dad, what about this? Mm-hmm. If you hadn't built the right stuff back there, they wouldn't come.
0: Right. I think that's a great word, too. And I think as as parents, as fathers and mothers, patience, 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 mm. patience. because kids go through stages. And I know, I know a lot of people are worried, well, my son is not excited about church as he used to be, or my daughter is not, and, and the story's not finished yet. And I know in, in my home, Because I went through a divorce, so my daughters were living between two parents in their junior and senior high years. I had to be very patient Mm. in waiting for them and being consistent in being there and knowing that they're trying to navigate a very difficult situation. And so I think all parents are trying to help their kids navigate different Mm. situations that are stressful. But sometimes
1: we get really impatient, like how come they don't get it? Yet. And, and what I did, I tried to put all three of you guys in the same mold, and you're totally different. It took me a while to figure that out. Uh, I had, you know, Ed first and you, then Cliff came on after the fact. And, you know, Cliff got the benefit of uh, the curse of all of you went ahead. And right. uh, we, I think we did a better job with Cliff than we did with you or with Ed, mm-hmm. because we were more mature as parents. We weren't as impatient. Uh, we'd been uh, been there before. We understood some of the things he was going through. I think we were better parents. Right. right. I'd love to do it all over again. Sure. By absolutely. You know, I would know, People say, "You know, gosh, aren't so glad." I love the empty nest. Don't get me wrong, <laughs> but I'd love a second shot because I think I'd be a better father mm-hmm. with all three of my sons. So sure. I want to impart all that we can, Ben. Right. By our mistakes, what we learned, what we did. A-plus, what we didn't do very well. We need to impart that to this next generation.
0: And what would you say are like three things that you've seen fathers do in your lifetime in your ministry? Either you've done them or you've watched other fathers who were successful Mm. in raising good kids. What are some of those key things, if you can narrow it down to three Mm. or more, Mm. that that you would Mm.
1: Well, I remember once very, very clearly... I don't know how old you were, but I'd been somewhere, and I'd come home and spoken and probably brought a little gift, and I was sitting in the chair, picked up the paper, and I was reading the paper like this, sitting in the chair in the den, and you you asked me something, and I commented, and you mentioned this, and I commented, Mm -hmm. and you came and crashed through that paper. I remember it like yesterday. Mm -hmm. (sighs) And you looked at me, he says, you said, Look at me, Dad. Look at me, Dad. Uh And I, and I learned a great lesson yes. right then. Look at your children. Get down on the floor with your children. Get on their level. Mm-hmm. Have fun with your kids. That's the first thing we need to impart to our kids when they come in this world. Mm-hmm. The second thing I would say is to discipline your children, but do it very carefully and very prayerfully, mm-hmm. a uh, discipline them appropriate to age. I see a lot of parents of teenagers, oh, I know what I'm gonna do. I don't have anything in common with them. Well, it's, it's not too late, but you missed it all back there in not building relationship. Mm-hmm. You build relationship with time, with interest, with, with, with love, not with gifts. And you build a relationship when they're children, and it comes through naturally. And therefore, teenage years, I can truthfully say, Ben, the teenage years with the three three guys were terrific years for me. I enjoyed them more than any other years. Watch them grow and develop and date and all the challenges there. It's because I think that your mother and I, we had built a relationship with you. And she helped me interpret you, and I helped her interpret you. Mm You need the male approach and the female right. approach to understand these kids. So have fun with them, build a relationship with them, and let them know one thing. Whatever happens, your love does not vary. Mm-hmm. When you made a mistake, my love was consistent. Right. When you did great, my love was consistent. Mm-hmm. And that's the way God treats us, thank God. Mm-hmm. So, so that's the three things that pop into my mind when you think about parenting. Let's talk about, because we're meeting here
0: and talking in a gymnasium uh, for a reason. And uh, tell, because I've been asked, this is kind of selfish. I'm going to be selfish here for a second. But I know a lot of people have this question. I've been asked this question a million times, literally. And that is, what was it like growing up in a preacher's home or growing up in our home? I've been asked that question. I can't tell you, Mm -hmm. so I'm going to be selfish. And I'm going to ask you to describe how you remember what our home was like growing
1: up. Because I think people have a lot of misconceptions. No question. People said when all of you were kids, well, it's a preacher's gig. That made me upset more than any other thing. I said, Mm -hmm. look, in our home, we are seeking to build a Christian home independent of the church, the deacons, what everybody thinks. That I didn't let that enter into my thinking or your mother's thinking. We just wanted to have a Christian home, right. period. We didn't let people put us in a box. Mm-hmm. You never heard me say, Well, you can't do that because you're a preacher's right. kid, or, right. or you. Th- no, that's not how we, we built things mm-hmm. in. That's so important in the clergy understanding of sure. this. Uh, I told the church before I came here, really, when I was talking to the pulpit committee 100 years ago. I said, let me tell you something. I said, if my boys happen to have a basketball game, say 11 o'clock Sunday morning, I'm gonna be at that game. I'm gonna miss church that Sunday. Mm-hmm. They looked at me. I didn't mean that literally sure, because course. I don't think it would ever happen. Right. But I was telling them my highest priority was my wife and my guys, mm-hmm. period. It's above anything else you got here right. in this itinerary and I think any parent need to say they're the highest priority, mm-hmm. your mate first, then your kids. Mm-hmm. Mate, kids, you keep that right, you're gonna have a, a, a home that's fun, a home that's full of love. Right, and I think
0: too, what I tell folks when I get asked that question, and a lot of times it's people who are uh, working in the church who will ask, what was it like to grow up in, a, in, in our home? And I would say that you and mom did not shove the Bible down our throats. Mm-hmm. You weren't like, hey, let's, you better, be sure you're praying every day. You better read your Bible every day. The only non-negotiable is that we're church people. Not because we were PKs, preacher's kids, right. but we went to church. And But you guys didn't, uh, sh- you know, shove religion down our throats no. or brainwash us, as some people would want to use that term. And uh, I think I remember you saying that one of your goals growing up is that our house would be fun, you know, which leads us to the court. And talk to us about basketball and why that's been oh. such a big part of our story uh, growing up.
1: Well, you know, it, I was a frustrated basketball player. I played in high school. I was average, I guess, would be the best word. Um, I got better as I grew older. When I was seminary, I was, mm-hmm. a, I was probably capable of playing maybe small college basketball, but right. I was a slow mature right in and, uh, and, and a lot of ways. And I said to people, if I'd been taller, faster, could handle the ball better, shoot better. Jump higher. I'd been a good yeah, player. Exactly. I liked, make play I liked, pro. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I made it up on hustle, Ben. Right. It was sort of a part that we did uh, early on with Ed. You played a basketball on the floor, and you did the same thing, Cliff. Mm-hmm. And Ed passed it on to you. You passed it on to Cliff. So mm-hmm. that was sort of our game. Yeah. And we went out, and we played in the backyard. We played each other. I played one-on-one with all you guys. And uh, it just evolved into that. We'd watch it on television. My goodness, you know uh, basketball way, way back in the day. Yes. And so uh, it was sort of my game. And where did I get that? Mm -hmm. From my dad. My dad, believe it or not, from Cragford, Alabama, when he finished high school, he had offered to play basketball at Auburn. I did not know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, he didn't didn't do it. He had to go. He went to work. Yeah. Uh, But so it was sort of built in. My dad loved basketball. See, he built a backboard for me and built a homemade rim that was smaller that. than the regular rim. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, that was sort of, it's one of those things a family passes sure. on. You were a part of that, mm-hmm. um, a victim of yeah, that. no.
0: Dad, talk to us about how the times have changed and how parenting today, for both of us, really, th- this new generation mm-hmm. of fathers, it's, it's, it's new for them. What's different about raising kids today than it was when you were raising us or even when I was raising my kids.
1: Well, I look at the grandkids and I see the difference. And primarily, <laughs> this is the difference. Yes. Because kids today, this is the posture that you see. And they, they live by this. They communicate by this. They study by this. This becomes the center of their life. Somewhere, we've got to take this and, and put it to one side if we're gonna really get through to our kids or to Mm -hmm. anybody. And it's gravitated up to mothers and dads and and the way it goes. This is a real problem in our society. It's an asset, it's a wonderful gift that we have, but it can totally saturate a personality, particularly kids. They've been brought up with this and it's a deadly thing to be brought up with. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. Technology is, I mean, you you can look back
0: at uh, the automobile. That was a game-changer in our society, much like the cell phone that gave kids and young people mobility. And eventually, that's why we don't have communities today, because you can Mm -hmm. live anywhere you want, primarily
1: because Mm -hmm. of the automobile. And with that, you Mm -hmm. can go around the world. It's worse. I think we need to put these things aside uh, for days at a time or even weeks at a time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I heard today a wonderful thing. They said in light of all of our problems we have today in our broken America, what, what do we do about it? How do we get sanity back? And the suggestion was made, cut off your TV and all your communication for a week. Just cut it off. Just back away from it. And after about a week, it'll cleanse your heart and spirit and all the heavy things yes. that come on us from the virus, from the riots in the street, we'll begin to able to put things in perspective. Mm-hmm. And once again, be able to see mm-hmm. maybe the view that God would give us in that book. I think that's good yeah, counsel. I think
0: that's great. I think one thing that we can do, it's simple, is when you're having a meal with your family, have a shoebox and everybody puts their cell phone, <laughs> at least for a meal, everybody puts the cell phone yeah. in the shoebox, and then after the meal's over, you can get your... Yeah. your uh,
1: <laughs> or just have a room. You know, we just don't do that. Right. And uh, I think this is, a, this is a game changer in the 21st mm-hmm. century. And I think we have to deal with it radically. I don't think we just taper off. We've got to have things like you said. We, we, this is when we cut it off. Yes. And uh, there are times in which you're unavailable. I talked to Elton Trueblood personally when I was a youngster at Wake Forest. In yeah, fact. tell them who Elton Trueblood is. Elton Trueblood was, was a Puritan. Uh, he was a wonderful author for many years. He wrote one or two books a year, a real scholar, mm-hmm. a real visionary, a godly man. And uh, I asked him, I said, Dr. Trueblood, uh, give me some advice about the ministry. He said, if you're available all the time, not available any of the time. Mm-hmm. There's got to be times you shut down your life. And I've practiced that through the years. I, I listen to that. And you know, Ben, I sure. have days I'm unavailable right. because I, I'm alone. I'm trying to get ready. I'm preparing mm-hmm. my heart and my life <laughs> for things. And see, somebody <laughs> already is trying That's to get funny. Me. They're That's already so after me here yeah, at this case point. Case in point, yeah. So I think we have to do that. We have to realize we can't be available all the time, Right. but we really have to have those times away from all the media sure. where God can do something in our lives. And I think that really when you look, I call them the
0: flyover verses in the gospel. <laughs> They're those verses where it says, you know, Jesus was uh, was ministering to thousands of people and it said he broke away from no, them no. and he went away to a lonely place to no. pray. They were looking for Christ, and he was up in the mountains praying alone. So if Jesus Christ, (laughs) who's God in the flesh, needed those times to reconnect with his Father, how much
1: more do we need to... Being available all the time, you're not available any of the time. That's perfect. Your all the time means nothing unless you have this vertical time. The horizontal time, well, we love that. The vertical time, we have to learn also to love that. And through the years, I'll have to tell you without being super pious, I love this more and more. Mm
0: -hmm, mm -hmm. Dad, if you could speak to the fathers that are here today, those that are watching, and give them a challenge or a word of blessing, what what
1: would you say to them? You know, the Bible says that fathers are to be lovers and leaders in the home. That's our verse there we started with, Mm Ben. In Ephesians 6. Right. And if fathers become lovers and leaders in the home, hey, look out there's a real home there. Something will happen that you've never seen before. Recently, I led a father to Christ. He's an older man, had older children, and he went back and for the first time, it's been about eight months ago, he said, you know what I did? I prayed with my family. He said, we all wept. Here's a father who was a quasi-Christian, now experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ And when he prayed for his family for the first time, it was revolutionary. And he said, you know, I wish somebody had told me how to walk with Christ many, many years ago. Dads, the biggest problem in America and the world today are homes without fathers, even if they're present. They're not fulfilling the biblical role of being a leader. You know what that means? And being a lover. Fathers, dads begin to lead in love look out. America will be radically changed.